Hey guys, what up? Welcome to episode number 95 of Chat with Matt. Today's episode, I just had a good chat with Joe Williams. And guys, this was one of the best podcasts I've ever done. In 95 episodes, by far, this one's the most powerful. Joe Williams spoke everything about his NRL career, boxing, Johnny Lewis, and the point where he was about to end it all. He spoke about his suicide attempt and how he got out of it and how he masked his mental health with alcohol throughout his career. It was just such a powerful conversation because, you know, back 10 years ago, no one was talking about this whole mental health. Nobody. And he played a whole career suffering it, didn't get the help. And uh, he was just masking it, you know, with recreational drugs, with alcohol. And he was doing a good job on the field, hiding it. And then he was boxing. He was masking at boxing too. And now his life works just coming out and helping people with mental health. So it's a huge chat. You know I'm all about mental health. I love it. I've got a brother who has lived with mental health. So it's something that's near and dear to me, guys. So please give this one a listen. Subscribe to the podcast. If you can leave me a five-star rating review on Apple iTunes, I'll appreciate it. And um, yeah, if you want my free um, ebook, links links in the bio and join our free Facebook community group where I'm educating you daily on nutrition as it's one of the biggest problems out there. So if that's something you want to do, do it. But please follow Joe Williams on Instagram. Give him a follow, guys. Enjoy the show. Peace. Tell us a bit about your um, your background. So when you grew up, mate, whereabouts did you grow up? I was a country boy. Um, you know, I, I come down from, I was, bo- I was born in Kiara, a little community, uh, sort of over the Blue Mountains, um, south of, I think it's south. I don't really know. I'm not great with Oh, mate, I'm terrible with that. <laughs> it's, it's, out, it's out wide anyway, I know that. Um, just near Bathurst. Um, grew up in a little, little community called Cowra with about 10,000 people, 12,000 people. Then, then my parents, by the time I was 10, uh, flipped a coin to go to Wagga or Dubbo. Um, and the old man being a, an, ex, an ex-city footy player, um, the old man played in the Winfield Cup. So being an ex-sort of footy player, you know, like a, you know what it's like in the bush, like footy's, footy's life and... Um, you know, so we got he got caught after a little bit, and um, the olds flipped a coin with it to go to to go to Wagga or Dubbo, and and mum and dad, you know, moved to Wagga, um, and it was just about opportunity for us kids. Like mum, mum and dad were always about education, you know, school, 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 school. Um, as so I, I grew up there, and 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 even as a young fella, I I, I always wanted to be a footy player, like like. Like a lot of Aboriginal boys, a lot of Aboriginal, like a lot of boys everywhere, you know. Um, always wanted to be a footy player, and I would do everything I possibly could. And my old man, as I said, played in the Winfield Cup, and my older brother played as well. Um, and you know, my older brother, um, he people say, why didn't he play footy? You know, like he was a thousand times better player, footy player than I was. But he just never had. He just didn't want to go to Sydney, and then he ended up breaking his neck at eighteen and, and never played another day. So, yeah, um, yeah um, 
mate, it's funny because um, you know we got different fathers, but um, raised raised by my you know by by my mum and dad under, under our roof, and and people always ask um, you know to my dad, oh, who who was a better footy player than Joe and Mike, and dad's like. Don't disrespect Michael by mentioning him in the same sentence, you know, like Oh wow. Uh, yeah, he was my, my brother was my brother was he was a man. Um uh, but he was a halfback as well. Oh wow, man. Yeah, he was oh, a halfback and he mate, just you're a great he, player, bro. Honestly, man. He, he, people, you know, my, my brother, my like my dad says, like, man, Joe Joe couldn't Joe wouldn't get close to Michael, you know, on 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 their both on their best day. Yeah. Um, but he just never had the will to go down to go down to city. Like there'd, there'd be clubs that would come up and watch him play, and and he'd say, "Mum, I don't play today." Wow! Because he just he knew that they they'd, they'd be there to watch him, and he'd say, "No, I don't play." He oh, just really? didn't want to go. Yeah, just one of those one of those guys. Where, but you know, I was the opposite. I I wanted to do everything I possibly could to play footy, and um, I would do anything to do that. You know, and um, but my life took some some, some different directions. Both at a, at a at a very young age, at a fairly young age, um, you know, and it's I guess it's, you know, you're looking at my life and you look at a life of sport, and then and then post career, the life that the work that I do around the mental health space, um, two significant incidents that happen at the age of thirteen, both have led me directly to where I'm doing what I'm doing now, you know, both have played significant parts in what I, in how I do it now. Um, the first one was at 13. I had some fairly strong interest from from a number of different NRL clubs um, that that were calling up mum and dad and you know ringing the old the old, the old house phone back then. You know, um, so they'd ring mum and dad and say, "Look, we want to we want to take him to you know down to Sydney and do some training," or, or they'd send in the in the post a you know a, a letter with you know offering scholarships and stuff like that and different camps and things like that. Um, there was five clubs that were, that were knocking on mum and dad's door to get me to sign as a, as a 13 year old. Um, wow, 13. And yeah, um, just a baby, you know, and I'm so thankful that mum and dad, you know, because dad played footy as well. Like dad knew the system, dad knew what it was like and dad knew that it could be over in a heartbeat. So um, mum and dad were smart. They were like, all right, this Joe's career isn't going to be about footy. Joe's career is about post footy. Um, and every single club that knocked on our door, mum and dad said, we don't care about money. We don't care about what you're promising. What we care about the most is, is his schooling and what you're going to do for him, you know, to get a good education. So the, the conversation changed from how much money to who can give him the best school. Um, yeah, which I'm so, which I'm so thankful for now. Yeah, bro, hundred percent. Because a lot of parents, a lot of parents would just throw their kids out there as soon as they get that letter. You get blinded, yeah. You get blinded by it you, because a lot of parents want to do it themselves as well. You know, they, they they live that dream, you know. That's why they're barking on the sidelines. <laughs> so, mum and dad, you know, and out of all the clubs that 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 were that were knocking. Um, it was the relationship that we had with Arthur Beetson um, because my dad, mum and dad and, and me, I guess, as a young fella as well, um, we lived with Arthur um, wow. when, dad was playing, when dad was playing at the Roosters. And that's, that, converse, that, that relationship stayed over a number of years. And uh, when Arthur started showing some interest in us, dad said, you know, he's not going to Sydney unless he goes down with you. 
um, having that, you know, that relationship that we had um, prior to that. Um, so, you know, I signed with the Sydney Roosters and um, lived with Arthur Beats in the first two years that I was in Sydney. Uh, it's funny now that, you know, like, uh, I guess everyone sort of remembers me as, as or people who do remember me as a footy player associate me with South. Yeah, man. But the, club, but the club who got me to Sydney was the Roosters. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I'm it was funny, you know, um you know, that you know it's like the 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 rivalry of east east and west, um okay. east and south, sorry. And uh I was given it online. I was given it to to the roosters, you know, you know, the latte sippers and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um and Arthur Beaton's son actually he wrote, he commented on it, don't you dare remember, don't you, don't you forget who got you actually to Sydney? And I was like, <laughs> ah, yeah, I know you get that. Yeah, that no, I won't ever cool. forget that. You know, I'm, I'm super thankful for the relationship um, with Arthur Beaton, you know, obviously in those early years, but then, you know, throughout my career and then now, even still with his sons, now I like, we're, we're, we're still like brothers, you know, I, I see those guys as brothers of mine and, um, we're all still, you know, extremely close. So um, that put me on that that path to play footy. Um, and the other significant thing that happened to me at the age of 13 was a was a fairly uh, a significant concussion and some head knocks. Um, and I was, well, people don't realise the, the relationship between the two, but, um, you know, on the back of that first concussion, I don't know if you've ever been concussed or ever had any head trauma, but people who have um, can relate to it, is that, you know, the concussions, there's a hell of a lot of confusion as to what happened, why it happened. You lose your memory and, and you know, you get that deja vu type feeling and it's it's really odd, you know. And, and, and it was like, it was like this conversation that was happening inside my head as to what and why and how come. And, you know, the, that conversation went from, you know, initially about my memory to initially then to to about a spiraling conversation that was inside my head that continued to go around and around and and you know it also second guessed and doubted and questioned every decision that I made and um, you know it started to plant thoughts and ideas of of that that worthlessness you know and that worthlessness then started to grow into something bigger um, to the point of, of wanting to end my life. You know, like I've ever since that first concussion, I've had a dialogue inside my head that, that spoke to me extremely negative and, and told me that I should die. Um, and it was, it was, you know, that, that, that time in my life, I, I thought that everyone went through it. I didn't really know what it was, you know, um, but signing a, a, a contract at 13 um, and then and then being sort of pushed into higher grades for different reasons uh, in my local community. I was playing first grade at 14. Wow. Um, yeah, like just as a, as a boy, you're playing against men at 14-year-old and, and you have a look at footy back then. It's, it wasn't as fast or as athletic as it is now, but it was, it was certainly a hell of a lot dirtier. Yeah, you know, like, exactly, man. You know, so so I'd get the the old if he's if he's good enough to be out here, then he's well, he's old enough. Let's see if he's tough enough to be out here. You know, I'd get headshots and late shots, and being a halfback, they they get older as much as they could. You know, <laughs> um, 
So you can imagine the, the amount of head trauma that I had right throughout my life. Um, be, and that was just, that was just, um, you know, uh, one, one of those things. It's, it's um, you know, that was footy back then. And, you know, constantly I'd get knock after knock and game after game and um, you, you, you wash your face and you get on with it and keep going. And, and, and looking at and knowing the, the research now around head trauma and concussions, uh, yeah, the damage that 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 it does is, you know, it's, I, I know it. I live it, man. Like, as I, you know, as I mentioned off air before, like it's, um, you know, my my memory's pretty cooked, and that's obviously from playing footy, but but obviously from from getting punched around the head later in my life as well. So, um, yeah, you know what that that dialogue inside my head was was extremely negative, but looking back the. The only way I knew how to silence it was 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 band-aiding it with substance. So, you know, it's and and, and we could say, you know, he's just a young fella. Um, you know, young young teenagers get up to mischief as it is. Um, but for me, underage drinking and and you know, I, I was always about trying to put a band-aid on what was going on inside my head. Um, so, I'll drink as much as I possibly could um, to silence what was happening inside my head. Uh, and that happened for a number of years, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old moved to Sydney and then all the clubs don't close in Sydney. Yeah. You know, not only was there, what was it? Well, not only was there alcohol, there was recreational drugs at this point. And, yeah. So how old was about, I was just going to say, so how old were you when you went to Sydney Roosters and you started went to Sydney? Yeah. As a, as a 20 year old, no, no, no. Seven, 17 year old. Um, seven, just, just 17 year old. Um, went and finished year 12 down there. Um, at Marceline College and you know then obviously turned 18 and 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 playing at the Roosters at the time we won the under 20s comp and then I was in the full-time squad the next year and you know it was again it was it was just party central like it was it was as much alcohol as you could have and then you know recreational drugs and things like that you know like after a while it became it was it was my my priority wasn't about my footy career anymore it was about you know it was about what i was doing off the field um, yeah which which put me on some ice skates man it, it, it you know i started to slip off the track most definitely um and i noticed with that you know come a hell of a lot of negatives in my life and and you know whilst by this point you know 20 year old playing in the nrl um things look fantastic on the field you know we weren't winning a hell of a lot and see us back in back in those days we didn't win a great deal of games at south yeah. but that was, um, south. it was difficult man like i was i got to be in both sides of it you know like the the years where we got flogged and then the years that that Russell took over, Russell and Peter Holmes of Court took over and we, we, it was a bit more well-resourced and, um, you know, we, we started to get some success. So, um, you know, but, but in those early years at, at South, I, I noticed that the ups and downs with my footy career and the ups and downs with my life, you know, relationships, all that stuff, um, you know, there was one, one thing in common and it was, it was the alcohol and drugs and, and I, I knew that I needed to 
straighten my life up. Otherwise, if, you know, I don't know where I'd be now. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I walked away from a life of alcohol and drugs, you know, nearly 15 years ago. Yeah. So um, for me, taking away substance, though, didn't fix the problem. Um, taking away substance just, I, I think it, you know, it was like, I was using alcohol and drugs for so many years to quieten down what was happening in my head, take the substance away, all the noise yeah. goes sky high. And, when, so, and I was just going to say, so when did it click to, to finally get help, man? Like when was the breaking point? Did you reach a point early on? During I didn't get, I didn't get help. I, I, I never, I never got help with it because again, we, we think there's a stigma about mental health now. Think about what it was like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. There wasn't, you know, no one was talking I, about it. No one at all was speaking about it. You, you're seen as mad if yeah. you, you know, like, a, um, so I remember seeing psychologists, you know, sports psychs and all that sort of stuff to get like to, to, you know, try and try and work out what was going on with me. But it was one of those things that, you know, I didn't tell the truth all the time. Yeah. You know, because again, scared of what was happening, scared of why and scared of, you know, there, there were a hell of a lot of people around me going, you know, Joe's fantastic for three weeks and then you don't see him for three weeks. Yeah. You know, he can be, he can be the best on the field and then you wouldn't even know he was out there. Yeah. You know? So it was, it was just the inconsistencies in the ups and downs of, you know, people, you know, will call it second year syndrome, but, but for me, it was a hell of a lot deeper than that. You know, it was, I had a voice inside my head telling me to end my life, you know, that I'm trying to hold down. Well, I'm trying to hold down a footy career. And then I've got people screaming at me in the coach's box whilst my head's screaming at me. The last thing I want to be doing is, is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay alive, let alone, yeah. let alone hold down a footy career. Um, and then you're going home to sleep and, and you're not really resting. You know what I mean? You're not resting. Your head's never resting. Yeah. You know, I still to still now to this day, I only get about three or four hours sleep a night. Yeah. My head never rests. Yeah. Um, so it was difficult in those early years, um, you know, and, and, but getting, getting sober, I got sober at the, um, I think it was 2000, yeah, 2005, start of the 2005 season, something like, um, I, you know, it was like, all the noise got turned back up and, and, and when I got sober, I, I realized one thing for certain is that I didn't, I, I wasn't enjoying footy anymore. And I didn't really, I didn't really have anything in common with my teammates. You know, like the only thing we had in common was playing footy and partying. And I wasn't partying anymore and I wasn't enjoying the footy anymore. So the end of the 2008 season, um, I walked away. Um, and you know, I, I had opportunities to go to to clubs for lower tiered contracts and stuff like that. But it was just like I remember the I remember the, the the thought process that I was going through. I was I was working at an organisation called NASCA, the National Aboriginal Sporting Chance Academy, um, and I got, I got a call through to say you know there was a lower tiered contract with with one of the one of the clubs, and and I said you know what I've I've done it now. I've done it. I want. I want to concentrate on the next part of my my life. And you know, by the two thousand and seven and eight season, um, I started doing some extra work with Johnny Lewis, some boxing work. 
um, to, just to get fit and um, to, to you know, firstly it was about fitness, but then, you know, when I went into the gym and I started to, to realize it more, it was about halfway through the, the 2008 season. I went, I don't want to play footy anymore. You know, I, I want to box. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, you know, training part-time by this point because like they weren't going to put me back in first grade. It was one of those things that already told me that they weren't going to re-sign me. And I was like, so I, I'm, I'm off it now. You know, yeah. and and every day that I went into the boxing gym, I, I loved it. I fell in love with it even more. And and I, I realized that the harder I worked in the boxing gym, the quieter my mind was. And and for me, it was it was building that resilience that I never had as a rugby league player. You know, there was times in the footy field, I when times were tough, I wasn't there. Yeah. You know, and and boxing taught me how to do. Boxing taught me how to do the opposite of that. You know, boxing taught me how to how to bite down in in, in tough times and, and learn how to fight back. Yeah. Um, where boxing, where footy, I could never do that. Um, so no hiding boxing, man. Sorry. There's no way to hide in boxing in the ring. Yeah, I know. I know that much. <laughs> um, yeah, like boxing. Boxing taught me how to be mentally tough, and and whilst I was. Being mentally tough in the boxing gym, it was it was teaching me some resilience outside the ring as well, um, because I I relate a lot of my mental health issues to what I go through, what I was going through in the boxing ring. You know, like everything in the boxing ring was telling me to get out of there, you know, because getting punched in the mouth and you know being tired and and you know that 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 inner deep voice that I was having outside the ring as well it was telling me to give up and to not be here and to you know, your life was worthless and you, you why don't you just jump now you know like it was those things that that boxing taught me how to minute by minute round by round fight back against um, and I learned how to do that and you know I uh, whilst things were going great I was I'd had a couple of fights by this point and it was all going okay but then you know the ups and downs of life i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder um marriage breakdowns relationship breakdowns all that sort of stuff i'd i'd, I'd separated from my my wife and kids and then i'd repartnered and separated again had another child and now i had three kids you know that that i wasn't living with any of them all above above everything in my entire life all i wanted to be was a good dad and i wasn't being any of that and, um, you know, things were, things were really tough and challenging for me. And that voice that was, that was constantly barraging inside my head since I was 13 got even louder. And, and you know, I started to listen to it. And, you know, in 2012, uh, I attempted to not be here anymore. Wow. What, what made you not do it, man? Or what made you make that change? And because I remember you said you contacted Johnny Lewis. Like, how did that come about from being... In that hole, bro, where you thought there was no escape. How'd you get out of so, there? So we look at it, right? Is that I was training with Johnny at the time, and then that was in Sydney, and then I moved back to the bush. Oh, okay. Right? So, so, so I went through the 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 marriage breakdown and and relationship breakdown. I'd repartnered, moved over, I moved overseas. So I played footy in France for a bit, and yep. then just was like, no, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back home. And then, so I was living back. I was, I was living back in Dubbo. 
Oh, so you got um, away from the boxing for a little bit. I got a, I got away from the boxing because I was over playing footy in France, yeah. and then you know yeah. I I moved back to Dubbo and I started boxing when I was in Dubbo, but mentally and emotionally I was a wreck. Yeah. Um, and you know when I when I when you when you ask what made me not do it, you know I did it. You know I I tried within the power of my two hands to not be sitting here talking to you today. Wow. Um, something bigger than me kept me here. You know, if I had it my way in those moments, I wouldn't have woke up, but I did, yeah. you know? So I'm, I'm extremely thankful every single day, grateful to be, to be able to open my eyes, to be able to take that first breath of the morning when I'm awake, you know? So, um, and it was, it was after that period, did, did I start to have a look at, you know, I was, I was, I was admitted into a mental health ward and started to have some self-reflection. I had a conversation about this this morning. I mean, I was like, um, they said, what was it like in that ward? And I was like, man, it was the most, it was the most harrowing point, not because of what happened or who was in there. It was because I had to sit with myself, you know, and, and so many people struggled to do that. You know, like I, like I had to sit with what was going on inside my head and, 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 and start to like, have a look at that. And, you know, I didn't like that, man. It was scary as hell. So um, but it also gave me some tools to be able to get through it. So um, from that point, um, you know, I, I got out of the ward and I, I thought it was good to move. Um, the, the most important thing is to move home. I, I moved back to Wagga, yeah. um, back with my parents. And then I opened a gym in Wagga and I was training in Wagga and, and, and you know, things were going okay. And then, you know, I ended up back inside the ward again. Um, you know, because it's a, it's a constant battle. It's a, and if you know if you're not putting it as priority, it's going to get you. Yeah. Um. So, so you know, I I realized that that once I got out of out of you know that self reflection mode, I had to put priority to my well being, and I was mentally and emotionally at my best when I was boxing. You know, and it was it was when I was it was when I was boxing. Um, was I was I mentally strongest? So I got back in the ring, you know, and I, and I started fighting again. And um, you know, it was it was through that period. Um, did the enemy thing get born? You know, I started to talk about it, and on the back of you know a, a series of short films and um, some 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 exposure locally, um, because again, like back in two thousand and fourteen, no one spoke about this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was about having a conversation with with people in community and schools and uh, different people to, you know, open that conversation. Um, because if, you know, if I was struggling, um, I noticed a stack load more people started talking to me once I started talking about it. You know, people would come out and they were like, you know what, Joe, what you, what you say you go through, um, I'll go through the exact thing. So, um, you know, it, it gave a voice to, um, to people. It gave a voice to people who, who, who were struggling in silence. Wow. Now, what has, what has Johnny Lewis done for you, man? Oh, mate. Let's get on to legendary Johnny Lewis. I love that guy, man. What a guy, you know, like. And, and, and Johnny, Johnny, I think mentally, what's, what has he done for you? You know, I, I did a clip, I did a clip, um, a couple of years ago. Um, and it was about, 
they rang me up and they said, we, we, we want to write a letter. We're getting people to write a letter to the people who, who help them the most. Um, so people could write to, you know, their, their psych or their, or their wife or their, you know, husband or, or, or parents or whatever. And, and, and I said, um, look, I didn't, I didn't talk to anyone about what it is that I went through and even post my suicide attempt, you know? Um, but I want to, I want to put a spin on it. I want to write, I want to write my letter to Johnny Lewis. And I was like, what, why Johnny? And I was like, well, Johnny was my coach. And, but what, in some of the, 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 what I wrote in the letter was, um, you know, I know that Johnny, see when, when Johnny, um, he read my autobiography and, and he was upset because he didn't, he was upset at himself because he didn't pick up what was going on. And this was in the boxing gym. And, and I said to Johnny in that letter, I said, the reason you didn't pick up what was going on is because I was strongest when I was with you. You know, it was, it was those little little subtleties though just that soft warm voice of johnny lewis that that planted seeds in your mind to make you believe in yourself yeah. and anyone who's ever been coached by johnny lewis would think that they could go out there and beat mike tyson you know um because he just he just ingrains that self-belief and, and whilst, you know, things are tough and things are, you know, you might be hurting physically and emotionally, uh, physically and, and, and mentally when you're with your, with your fitness stuff, he, he makes you believe you can go that extra yard, you know? So Johnny, Johnny taught me that resilience just by his soft natured, natured ways of massaging through those tough times, you know? So as I said, you know, Johnny Lewis taught me resilience. Johnny Lewis taught me about how to fight back. Um, not through, he, ne he never taught me that through being aggressive or shouting or, or, or you know, or, or being assertive. He, he taught me that by getting inside my own head with the psychology of his voice in convincing me that I could do anything. Yeah. Well, his track record shows that, man. Like if you look at the people he's coached, who who he's turned into world champions, it's just unbelievable, man. Look, the the, the world champions that Johnny's trained obviously could fight as well. Yeah. All right. But Johnny instills a self belief that you don't you don't want to you don't want to you want to go to the end of the earth for him. Yeah. You know, it's just the way the guy is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mate, that's awesome. I remember meeting him when I was uh, 14 at the airport. I was flying out to Queensland and it was him and Andrew Eddinghausen at the airport. And I went up to him and he was kind of surprised I knew him. I go, Johnny Lewis. And he's like, oh, how are you, mate? But the nicest bloke you'll ever meet, eh? Oh, a beautiful, beautiful man. Just a really soft-natured man. Yeah. Now, how'd you go in your boxing career? So how many fights did you end up having, Joe? Mate, I ended up having 16 pro fights. Um, Wow. You know, I jumped in the deep end straight up. I didn't have any amateur fights. I just went into the pros straight up. And again, Johnny said, look, if you're going to get punched in the mouth, you might as well get paid for it. So, um, you know, I went in there and, and I was lucky enough to have, I had 16 fights and, and I was, I was, I was looked after well when I was, 
managed well when I was um, when I was boxing and I won twelve of them, lost three and had a draw. So um, again, you know, boxing for me wasn't about beating people up. Boxing for me taught me how to be mentally tough. Boxing taught me how to fight back against my own head. You know, um, so. Um, whilst I might have looked like I was in fights with the opposition, um, the biggest fight I've ever been with is, is, is myself. And, and boxing taught me how to fight back against that. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know if you remember, man, the other day when we were speaking about um, when you came to uh, Christian Brothers Lewisham, back in the day to do talks. And, um, I can't even remember going there. Yeah. I'll be honest. Oh, you, the the, you the one done. thing I remember about Christian Brothers Lewisham is that I'm a Marcelin boy. Yeah. So, like, we used to always, uh, you know, clash massively, you know, in the in the school footy and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, I'm surprised I wasn't hunted out of there when uh, <laughs> when when I was at Lewisham giving the talk. But, man, it's you know, it's always good. That you remember those those years when you're at school and you remember the the, the, the things and and people that that impact on you with with different presentations and so forth. And I'm stoked to be able to that you can remember it, you know. A fair, a fair while ago now. Man, it's crazy. Like, honestly, like you didn't play State of Origin or anything, but I remember you as a player. And I used to, like, you stood out for me. Like, I used to be a Tyler man and I did a job with Trent Cutler. I don't know if you know Trent Cutler. He played yeah, yeah. And yeah go, the Bulldogs. I go, Trent Cutler, and he goes, bro, how the fuck do you know me? I said, man, I don't know. You just, you just stood out for me. Like, you know, a little fast guy. Same with you, man. You know, sharp on your feet and. You just had, I don't know, you had something, man. So when, when you came to Lewisham back in the day, I was like, Joe Williams, you know what I mean? So, Wind you know, back the clock, mate. I, uh, when people say, uh, you know, that I, I played in the NRL, I played, you know, fullback when, uh, I played uh, back when Jesus was fullback for Jerusalem, mate. That's <laughs> like a, a lifetime ago. It's been a while, huh? So, mate, yeah. mate, let's talk a bit about, yesterday was Are You OK Day, mate. Now, what are some of the things that you're doing? Because you do a lot of work with mental health, and yeah, mate. Let's um, yeah, let's touch base on that stuff, mate. Yeah, I do. I do loads of work around, you know, in the in the wellbeing space. Obviously, from from the the experiences that I've been through, um, that have helped, that have shaped me as a person. That that now, you know, help me to help others. Um, I realise that helping others is is one of the key ingredients to helping me. You know, and 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 what I do is is talk so openly and and honestly with 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 young people just about you know being able to talk about their emotions. You know, talking about you know how we feel and 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 being honest in those moments, um, and then helping them to be able to get through those moments. So you know, I talk. I spoke um, as you mentioned, Are You Okay Day um, and World Suicide Prevention Day, and when people ask. Know, what are, what are the what are some of the things that you, you you do to stay well? You know, some of the most easiest and effective things that I do are eat well, sleep well, exercise well, and stay away from toxic people. Yeah, you know, four really effective things that can that can have a huge impact on on everyone's life, um, and it doesn't matter who they are or how they do it. You know, when, when you're putting these positives, um, you know, in, in, your, in your life, um, you know, it, it, it helps you to be, you know, a better person. Yeah. Man, I'm huge on that too. Like, I tell people all the time, like, 
would you let someone come in and just dump, dump garbage in your lounge room? Like, why do you let people put their shit in your head? Dump junk in your own head, you know? Like, um, that, for me, that's... And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, it, it, there, there is others out there that, that still do it. And, and that's because I allow it into my life. And, and, uh, and I've got to continually check myself to make sure that I'm not allowing this toxic behavior, you know, in my circle. So, um, you know, toxicity and people's toxicity, um, you know, one of, one of the, the major effects on people's well-being. Um, but you choose to let them into your life. Yeah. You know, that's why, like, 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 I'll never sit here and say, this person made me feel like this or this person made me feel like that. No. I chose to take on board the rubbish that they're talking. You know? it. So it's about having more control over, you know, who you let into your circle. Just taking initiative too, man. Like yeah, and taking, just taking control, being mani- managing your own well-being is managing your own space. Yeah. And a lot of it stems from childhood too. That's why I love how you, you mentioned that and you said, because it's a constant thing I hear about with people I interviewed too. Like I was talking to Luke Jackson um, who's a boxer, and he said, um, mate, a I'm lot of Jacko. Yeah, like a lot of the problems. Jacko, Billy Assange. Yeah. He goes, a lot of the problems stem from childhood, man. And he never went and fixed them until he went and saw someone. But it's, it's our identities, eh? Because, like, for example, when I started my business, man, there was minus eight on my card, man. Like, I literally started with zero. And I just started, and then I always had that belief, like that broke mindset. And then once I started to, you know, get... 10 clients, 50, 100 clients. I still had that kind of mindset. So you kind of, you, you kind of feel you don't deserve it. And it wasn't until my, men, my mentor instilled in me, nah, man, you deserve this. And it's, it's just that self-talk, eh, man? Like, it's so important, bro. And, that's, and, and that's because, again, we, we, we talk about, about childhood or, or, or everyone, you got to realise is that everyone is conditioned a certain way. Yeah. Is that we, are, we are all born... Um, pure, but yeah. we are conditioned a certain way. Yes. And the way that we are conditioned is a reflection of what those people are going through as well. Yeah. You know, so, so again, if, if you've got, and I, and I see it all the time, I'm like, you know, this person's parents are, you know, are conditioned a certain way. Again, like I, I'm a big believer in not looking at what is happening, looking at why it's happening. Yeah. And, and you said it, it all stems from trauma. And, and, and one of the key indicators now, even for long-term physical health outcomes, is childhood trauma and adver- adverse circumstances in growing up. And that's, the, that's a lot of the work that I do now um, yeah. in that, that childhood, you know, childhood trauma space. So um, you're right, man. Like, we got to realise is that everyone is conditioned a certain way and they're conditioned because they were conditioned that way. Yeah. You know, so I had a really, I had a really uh, important, probably one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had with my dad recently. Um, and I said, dad, I, I was, I was critical of the way that, that you fathered me as a young person. Yeah. Because I, I, I saw other people's fathers and I was like, I wanted my dad to do that. And I wanted my dad. But, but again, I, again, that's me being judgmental because I don't know what, what my dad went through. 
and 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 out of that conversation, what I also knew as well, and and Dad was like, yeah, but, and I was like, no, 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 let me finish. I was like, you didn't know how to be a dad because he lost his dad at nine. Oh wow! You know, so so how can somebody be a dad when he never had a dad himself? Yeah, you know, and 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 a lot of a lot of different traits that I picked up again, are from conditioned behaviors of a former life. So um, for me, you know, I said, I'm, I'm going to draw the line in the sand. You know, I, I acknowledge that the people around me did the absolute best that they knew how to do. Yeah. Whether it's positive or negative, they were still doing the best. Yeah. Um, but how I change that, or if I want to change that, is on me. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to be able to do that for my young people. If I, if I want to, if I want to change certain behaviors and, and, you know, conditioned ways of, of upbringing. It's so crazy. Eh, man, how you can honestly create whatever you want. Like now my mindset is like, I know I can get anything I want. Like, like that's my mindset because there's people more successful than me that have done it and they had nothing when they started. And I'm like, why can't I do that? And it's just crazy how you grow into that mindset later. So, and even, even the way you say that, like, why can't I do that is, is a negative connotation as to why you shouldn't deserve that. Yeah. You know, why I can't do that should be, I deserve to get that. Yeah. That's it. You know, like, and yeah, you know, and subconsciously our mind thinks about that as well. Yeah. And, and I've, don't get me wrong. Like I ain't sitting here trying to be a guru, guru. I, I, I'm still learning that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I'm still learning the, the, the power of, of words, positivity, positivity, you know, thinking, um, speaking, uh, acting, you know, the, the power of positivity. Yeah. How important is, um, exercise, Jay? So what's your daily routine look like? Uh, again, you know, I, I don't exercise enough. Uh, uh, lately, you know, I, I ran a, I ran a half marathon probably two and a half, three months ago. Um, you know, I went from literally, you know, three months of not running. So not doing anything, you know, I was like, nah, that's it. I'm going to do it. And when I've got a goal, I'll always, I'll always work to something. Um, yeah. but you know, again, that negative stuff that's inside your head will always convince me not to do it. So I've got to train myself. I've got to condition myself to actually get up. So like, like lately, and, and for, as, a, as a gym owner, you get it. Um, you know, you've got to train, train before the sun rises sort of thing. Um, or if you've got clients going in there at 6 o'clock and you want to train before that, then you've got to get in there earlier to train. You know, where, where my mindset is, is again, it, it could be viewed as lazy, but it's that negative dialogue that's in my head. No, don't do it. You don't, you, you know, you, you won't get up or, or um, don't worry about it. Just do it later. You know, it's that, it's that, that self-talk that always, and that's constant still. So, um, you know, four times this week, uh, three times being honest, three times this week, I've gotten up uh, before the rest of the house and, and did my trainings. And then, you know, it's just put me on, put me on a, a better, better, better foot forward. So, uh, I'm going to constantly just kind of try and improve on that. So if it's three three days this week, then it'll be four days next week. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get that movement back into my life. Um, you know, I, I talk about the four 
the big four in the um, in the wellbeing toolkit for me is um, eating healthy, um, getting getting uh, e eating well, sleeping well, exercising well, and eliminating toxic relationships. Yeah, that's it. It's huge, man. Yeah, actually, man, I ran I ran a marathon two years ago because I listened to David Goggins. You know David Goggins? Yeah. So I can't I can't connect to Goggins. Yeah. I can't connect to him. Like people say, do you listen to David Goggins? I was like, I just can't. You know, because <laughs> I tell you what it is for me, and 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 this this comes back to um, generational, transgenerational trauma, right? Yeah. As an Aboriginal person, is that constantly for two hundred years we've been talked down to, yeah, right. So when I've got an army drill sergeant talking at me, I don't respond to it. You know, that's why Johnny Lewis. I responded well to Johnny Lewis because. That trauma trigger for me was getting spoken down to. And that isn't me getting spoken down to. That's 200 years of being spoken down to, again, genetically and transgenerationally yeah. impacted in my cellular DNA. Wow, that's powerful. So, so, so I, can't, I can't connect to people like Goggins. I've got to connect to, I've got to, connect to people like Johnny Lewis, who is soft and nurturing and... And, you know, and maybe that may change in a couple of generations because I'm slowly again, starting to work through that. Um, but I, 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 I struggle to talk to, to connect with David Goggins with that sort of stuff because of that drill sergeant mentality. I just, that's just me. Like, no, really, I'm, not really that, I'm not saying that other people can or can't. I'm just saying me, I struggle to do that. Of course. And we're all our, our own selves, mate. It's, it's like the teacher, well, me looking back at school, man, I was a bit, I used to muck around a bit, but the teacher that connected best with me, man, was, he never yelled. Mm. He's just like, mate, Maddie, I love a laugh, mate, but come on, man, just don't be a dickhead. And I was like, wow, exactly, but if people right. that bark at you, you're like, I want to come in tomorrow and I want to fuck around some more. Mm. Like, yeah, I get it. You know what I mean, man? So I definitely get that with Johnny Lewis, bro. Like you don't, you feel you don't want to, because they come down to your level. You feel you don't. You don't want to upset them. When when I when I, I I came through my suicide attempt, and my father was the first one to talk to me about it. He drove over from Wagga, and he and, and we sat and we cried on the on the front step. Um, and he said, "I want I want to talk to you about the story about the little boy that lives inside of us all, or for girls listening, the little girl that lives inside of you." Um, and it's that inner voice that, that's in us, right? And it's that, and he said, every time we go down a dark hallway and we're about to open the door at the end of the hallway and it, we're too scared to open the door, that little boy jumps out and says, no, don't do it. Don't do it. There's something scary behind there. Um, and, and he said, if that boy jumps out, what do you do? And, and trying to put the vibrato onto my dad, knowing that that's the sort of person he was. Um, so I've got to kick the door down. And he's like, no, you don't. You don't got to kick the door down. You got to grab that little boy by the hand and, and nurture him and say, come on, we can do this together. And it's that little boy that's inside us. Like when someone screams at you, that little boy gets scared. It's like your own kids, you know, like if I scream at my kids, it, they're going to get emotional and scared and, and not, and then they'll go into their shell. Yeah. But if I start to look at, you know, tell me, tell me, tell me what's going on. Like, why are you crying, mate? Not stop crying. Why are you crying? Like, let's, let's work it out. You know? 
connect to it and getting on people's level and starting to get inside the psyche of the mind as to why people think the way they do. Because when we think the way, when we understand why people think the way they do or what's triggering the thoughts behind what they do, we start to understand why the behaviors are happening. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. I, I was just thinking about, I was listening to a podcast with Mike Tyson and Joe Rogan this week, and um, Mike Tyson always gets emotional about Customato. Yeah. You know, like he was such a loose cannon back in the day, but Cus, you know, really related to him, man, because he went through trauma back yeah. in the day, Cus. And he goes, like, I know, I know you, man. You know, I grew up in a tough upbringing, and just that connection, bro, it's huge. And, um, bro, I'm so glad that you found someone like Johnny, you know, to connect and. Because look at the look at all the good you're putting out there now. Well, it's it's not just Johnny. You know, the the, the relationship has happened and developed. You know, with Johnny help un, unlock Johnny. Johnny held the keys that helped unlock a lot of the things that happened with me. And now, you know, the relationship with with my father is a lot better now. Yeah. You know, the, the relationship that that I can have with my kids are a lot better now because I wasn't that. Yeah. You know, I've said openly that COVID has taught me how to be a better dad. You know, like I've, I've been a, a, I've been a, what is it? You can, anyone can be a father, but but it's, it takes a man to be a dad or anyone can be a dad, but it takes a father, a real man to be a father or something like that. Yeah. One, one of them ones like, like many, many years, like I wasn't the best father or dad that I could be. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to be who you are if you didn't go through that. Exactly. But, but also I, you know, I've said openly that COVID has taught me how to do that because it's, it's kept me home. Yeah. I've never been home with my kids. You know, I've got, I've got a two year old now that, 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 that is the funniest little thing. Um, and she's the most challenging little thing, but you know, I've, I've had to things that, that, and again, this is a, this is a reflection of me, not anyone else. Things that, that, mothers or fathers may may take easy and think lightly of but i didn't know how to schedule a kid down for for a sleep to, to and then um you know making sure that they have lunch before they go to bed or or or, or cook lunch for when they wake up or or you know they're they're only allowed to have this amount of time to go to sleep so I, um you know so I, i've got to do this zoom now like we, we had to cancel a zoom the other day because my daughter kept coming in you know so like like little things like that like i'm i'm, I'm still learning how to do that stuff um, i'm taking i'm taking notes bro <laughs> i'm i'm open i'm open i'm open to learning where where um many years in my early days i wasn't yeah now joe i don't want to hold you too much man but what have you got for someone who's um who's really struggling now man like someone who, you know, it's COVID, they've lost their job or whatever it may be. Where do they start, man? Just strip it all back. Strip it all back and look at the gratitudes that we have in life. You know, I'm, we, a lot of the time we, we struggle because we look at what we don't have. Yes. You know, we don't have a job or we, we, we can't do this or we can't do that. My, I, I, I can't pay my car off. I can't, you know, like we got to start to have a look at the things that we've got rather than things that we don't have. Um, and, and with that comes enormous amounts of gratitude. Um, and, you know, like I said, we are a reflection. What, we are a reflection. Our, how we feel is a reflection at times of our behaviours yes. and vice versa. How our behaviours are a reflection of how we feel. So 
you know, to to we have to start to look at look at managing both sides of that camp, you know. Um, so for me, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times now. Um, eat well, sleep well. Uh, eat well, sleep well. What was the other one? Eat well, eat well, sleep well. Exercise. Uh, exercise well and get rid of toxic people, you know. So for me, um, those big four, uh, you know, are super beneficial to, to anyone's well-being. And when, when you start to strip it back and just get things really, really simple again, uh, rather than having a look at the complexities of how we do things or the big machine of how we do things, just strip it back, live present every day and do the best you can in that moment. And you, you can't do anyone else's best. You just got to do your best. Actually, Joe, I've, I've got a young, uh, a young footy player that I'm training. He's, um, he's in the under 20s. But any, I said that I was going to interview you today, but what's one piece of advice you've got for him going into, you know, or making it to the NRL? early on because you were in there at the 17 he's 19 what's one bit of advice you've got your life's already it, mapped. Your, it would get over, it would get overwhelming your life's already mapped out brother you know we just got to follow the path you know and and that's my belief and a lot of people don't believe it and and a good friend of mine luke maitland right we grew up as i, I remember vividly in 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 the in, in the dying minutes before the bell rang to my last fight. I said, Luke, what have I got to do to win this fight? You know, we'd known each other for, since kids. That was the first time he ever sat in the corner with my dad. Um, we'd known each other since kids and we're, you know, we're like brothers. And, and he come down and, 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 and watched me fight that night. And he, he sat in the corner with my dad as well. And I said, brother, what have I got to do to win this fight? And he said, it's already mapped out. Yeah, Whether you win or you lose, you just got to go out there and do your best right now. So for that young fella, your life's already mapped out. I thought I was going to be a rugby league player forever. It got taken off the path to be a boxer. Then I thought I was going to be a boxer forever. It took me a suicide attempt to get to the most significant place in my life is what I'm doing now. You know, yeah. they say that the, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born, the day you find out why you're born. You've got to find out why you're born. That's powerful, bro. I love that because when because when we get away from the present, bro, that's when we start. That's when all the stress comes. When we're living in the future, living in the future causes anxiety. Living in the past causes depression. Yes, man. So that's so powerful. We can't do anything. We can't. We can't do anything but live right now. Yeah. We, tomorrow's it. not even guaranteed. Yep. We just got to live now. And if we're at two percent, get to three percent, and then get to four percent, and then get to five percent. You know, whatever we wake up each and every day, don't worry about yesterday. Whatever you wake up in the morning, how you're feeling right now in this present moment, listening to this clip, just do the best you can to improve. Powerful, man. And just quickly, did you man. Get that? Did you get that clip, man? Did you get that? Did you get that sound bite? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta edit that up. That was awesome. <laughs> right, as a client was leaving my gym the other day, I said, hey, Marnie, win the day. And then she put it on Facebook. She goes, wow, just that little thing, man. It's one thing I say every time. I'm like, all right, man, win the day. Break it down. Break it down. How do you win the day? Get, get your session in. Read 10 pages. Well, what I do, read 10 pages. You know, I get my session in. I drink my water. That's it, man. I'll just repeat it. And I've I, I got, I, I got a list of five things. I'm like, all right, did I win the day? You either won the day or you lost the day. Did I read my 10 pages? Did I get my exercise in? Here's another one for you. Just do the next best thing. 
There you go. One thing. Whatever, whatever you do next, do it the best you can. There you go, bro. Whatever you do next, do it the best you can. If you're feeling 2%, get a three. There you go. That's even better, bro. Because then it's not a list. It's not a list, man. All you got to do is just do the simple things you can. Whatever you're feeling right now, because you're right, we might have a list. Okay, we go into the gym, the gym's burnt. We, we you know, the, you know, everything, well, I don't want your gym to burn down. Don't get me wrong, but you know, <laughs> yeah, get, we yeah. don't know what's happening. We don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. So all we can do in those moments is stay present and just do the next best thing. Bang, that's fire. We're going to sign out there, brother. That was awesome. <laughs> My man. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks for joining me, brother. Now, where can people find you, man? Get a, get a hold of me on my website, uh, joewilliams.com.au. On Instagram, it's joewilliams underscore underscore T-E-W. So that's double underscore because I got hacked uh, a couple of weeks ago and lost all my accounts, um, 15,000 followers and all my video and, and picture content of all my kids and that on filthy. Um, but it's joewilliams double underscore T-E-W. And on Twitter, Joe Williams underscore T-E-W. And we might need to team, team something up with my gym too, mate. Some way we can help, bro. Let's talk. Happy, happy to do anything anytime, brother. Any, yeah. Happy to do anything anytime. It's just, you know, I'm about helping helping people be the best versions of themselves. Yeah, however we can help, bro. We'll be in touch anyway. You stay well, my man. I'll get running. You too, brother. See Thanks, you, buddy. See you, man.